0: Hello everyone, it's December 3rd, 2019. It's a slow news week in space news, but we're going to talk about mounting RS-25s to SLS cores and all the potential issues of having the Ferrari of rocket engines just a few feet from massive solid rocket motors. Sounds scary to me, but that's rockets for you. And liftoff. And we've cleared the tower. Welcome to episode 238 of the Orbital Mechanics Podcast. I'm David. I'm Ben. I'm Dennis. All right. Uh, Any quick banter?
1: Oh, uh, I can mention that I got pins. So we made uh, enamel pins for the podcast. So right now um, in our merch or in our store, we're not paying for extra space in the store. So we can only list one item. And so what I have is a merch pack. That's just a a vinyl window sticker, like a backwards sticker, a vinyl sticker that goes forward for putting on like water bottles and stuff. Um, There's also an embroidered patch and a magnet. So it's, I, I believe it's four things. And so those all go into an envelope and they get mailed out and they're super, super cheap to mail because I just do USPS. You know, I, I put a, a stamp on them. I'm allowed to do those because through the mail because they are thin enough. If I put a pin in there, it suddenly becomes much more expensive because I have to do parcel post. And so um, at some point I'd like to sell the pins separately so you can get the mini merch pack that's cheap shipping or the full merch pack that is a little extra shipping, but that'll have to wait until we uh, migrate away from, uh, Squarespace. Cause I'm not going to pay, like, I don't want to pay a, a subscription to like Spotify or, or um, Shopify or something like that. So, um, if you really want one of these guys get in touch, we can just do a, a quick PayPal payment and just skip uh, Squarespace. But I think for now, I'm going to keep them as as little special thank you. So I'm going to throw one in each of the soonish books that I'll be shipping out this week, hopefully. Right. Um, I'm going to give a bunch to Dennis. And so if you, I think what we're going to do is if you meet us in person, you can get one of these enamel pins, or if you win something from a fun, you know, a fun giveaway that we do, you can get one of these. But I think we want to keep them limited edition and they're, they're pretty cool. But I got a, I got a big old box. Of, I mean, it's not, it's, I think I ordered like a hundred of them, but I got a box of them <laughs> and they're really nice. nice. And it's like our logo and it's always crazy to see. Things in the real world that are things that, you know, have been online until now. So,
0: yep. You're going to send me one of those, right? Cause I don't, I don't have one. <laughs> I
1: will def, I will ship you a handful, <laughs> but I'm seeing Dennis in person next week.
0: So, yeah. Also, before I forget, welcome back Dennis. And, <laughs> and this is a show that's just going to be the show. Like, we're not doing the interview because I'm trying to figure out how next week you're not going to be here, Ben, but then you are going to be there for the interview. Cause I'm assuming that that's, gonna which be... is the
1: opposite of last week, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. So,
2: we're like, conjugates to each other when it comes to (laughs) yeah this is this is why
1: we this is one of the major reasons that we picked up a third host so that we can do this and is less interruptive Mm -hmm. so so dennis how was kit peak that's where you were last week right
2: yeah yeah sorry i didn't I kind of forgot that it was coming up and that's why I only gave you like forty eight hours notice. But Yeah. <laughs> no, it, it that happens. Yeah. It was great. Didn't leave anybody behind. So that's kind of always the first <laughs> thing to look for. But um they finally uh I mean I'm sure it's been operating for at least a month now, but this is the first uh time in a year or greater that uh the uh my all four meter was open. Uh, on the weekend, because they've got a uh, a new instrument there, the Dark Energy Survey instrument, DESI. And uh, it's it's pretty remarkable. They, <laughs> I didn't realize that this thing is mm-hmm. so big that there was really only mm-hmm. a couple telescopes on the planet that could physically support it, because mm-hmm. you put it over at the prime focus, so, you know, away from the base of the telescope. And since this uh, my all-four meter was built, like, I think in the seventies in this kind of old school way. And it's just very big and heavy and it was able to physically accommodate the instrument. So, but that's, that's up and running now doing the, this survey. And so it's exciting. New results will be coming from it.
1: So we, we have so much news this week. Yeah. Oh, I guess yeah. we should just get into all. We that were having, to- we were <laughs> having a pick, I mean, we threw away entire articles because we couldn't... No, that's not true. This is... uh Yeah,
0: this is the... Yearly December spaceflight doldrums, I guess you can call it, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. where there's just not much happening.
1: They're here. So so we, we can't really talk about Christmas in space because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, we we don't really do Christmassy things in space. But I did retweet the, uh, this week. A, uh, I retweeted it from, from Jake Robbins, but it's a Christmas carol that is formed by taking clips out of the next generation. And uh, I think yeah. we all agree that it is amazing.
0: It's really good. Yeah. And I guess it's called, like, Make It So. Is, is that the name of it?
1: Ah, probably. Yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. think it has a title.
0: What else would you call it? I mean, if it involves Captain Picard talking, then you're going to hear Make It So. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, check it out. Make It So. So, in actual news, right, or space flight news, uh, we're going to talk about the RS-25 engine integration in uh, the first... This is actually the Artemis 1 engine. I I don't know how much we can talk about, right, because... uh, I'm not too familiar with how these engines are actually assembled or rather like integrated into the first stage, but that's kind of what I sort of wanted to talk about because hopefully we can kind of get some idea. And as far as I can tell, it involves a lot of very heavy equipment, and this all (laughs) takes place at the Michoud Assembly Facility, which is, I guess, why it's called the Michoud Assembly Facility because that's where you put big things together.
1: Right. right. (laughs) Very apt. It's what Michoud is really good at.
0: Yeah, like when you have something that weighs, I don't know, how much off the top of my head uh in rs25 what's the weight on that uh several they're
2: they're hefty chunks all right
0: uh 3.5 tons so if you have something that weighs 3.5 tons and you have to hoist it up onto a rocket booster how do you do that
1: and by the way it's really delicate and you can't use a forklift (laughs)
0: like it can't
1: it can't support its own weight from almost any component on Mm. there (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. So they have a special I guess it's just called a stiff arm that's like the one word that I found that seems to describe what this is and that's how they hold it in place while they put on bolts uh mm-hmm. to get it fixed in there.
1: So so wait, they they really they hold it with an arm. I thought that it could I thought you could mount it on a platform horizontally and just put on a platform and bring it up to where you need it and then bolt it in. You really need an arm on top of that?
0: Well, like you said, the engine can't support itself. Like you can't just set it onto a platform.
1: Right, right, right. But they I mean, they do have horizontal like installation platforms where they they hold it by the points that it can support itself on.
2: It looks it looks to me the platform it seems like gets it like close to being in place and then probably for that last uh leg as when they have to Use the stiff arms. Because at some point, it's got to come off that platform. Right. And how do you, I guess, use the stiff arms at that point?
1: I I love the name on the side of this platform. It's called the Horizontal Engine Installer. Like, okay, great. That's (laughs) a... Very descriptive name.
0: But the interesting thing um, is how do you orient the engines, right? Or how are they clocked? And uh, that's a term mm-hmm. that I hadn't heard, but you know, that's actually a pretty good description of what you have to do. You, mm-hmm. you have to sort of turn them because you need to get access to various components. And if you have four engines, the sides of the engines, which are all facing the center of the core, that's hard to access. So I guess mm-hmm. you sort of have to account for that and maybe put the least likely parts of the engines that you need to have access to, put those on the inside. But mm-hmm. if you look at... The diagram, which is in an Aerojet Rocketdyne piece that they did, um, you can sort of see the orientation that those engines were on the shuttle and now what they are on the SLS core Mm -hmm. stage. And the bottom two on both the shuttle and the SLS are the same. They're in the same orientation both the left and the right mm. one on the bottom, is just the top one and then the top two on the SLS that are different.
2: Now, next time I see a SSME, it's going to be <laughs> a completely uh, different way of viewing it. And it's interesting, that one uh, image with the the one engine on the uh, platform, you see that the, uh, the core stage has a little kind of aperture that people can kind of climb in and access it that way. That must be related to, like, why you can't... Uh, you don't get the full 360 that you were able to get with the space shuttle. You don't get as much access because they can't have this kind of external aperture going to the middle of the SLS.
0: One other interesting thing that I don't quite understand is why when they integrate these engines, they they actually do the two on the bottom first, then they do the two on top.
1: If that's the case, then they rotate the first stage because here you can see there's one engine integrated and it's on the top. So either they did that was a test fitting and they later uninstalled it or, or they rotate the whole thing.
2: Yeah, Here's the line. We're limited on our platform. So we try to secure two engines at one time. So we focused on the lower ones first, engines three and four, then moved up yeah. to engines one and two. And that's what we've been working on.
1: Well, it would make sense to to start at the top and then go down to the bottom so that you don't have engines below the engines you're trying to install. But mm-hmm. all, all the photos here, it looks like they have the platform set to install at the top and not at the bottom. So I, I wonder if they always install at what looks like the top, but they rotate the thing. I don't know. I don't know. It's, that's, that's a weird thing you noticed.
0: And that would make sense just to rotate the stage, right? It's a big stage, but it is a giant cylinder. How hard well, could es- that be to Especially <laughs>
1: because the engines, they're rotationally symmetric. So if you figured out the process for installing two of them, if you rotate the stage 180 degrees, the process is exactly the Second. same for the next mm-hmm. two instead mm-hmm. of having to do everything rotated by right. 180 degrees on the engine. So that would that would make sense, huh? I want I wonder if that's what they did.
0: Seems that we're just coming up with more questions than answers, but... <laughs>
1: which has kind of been the the, the story fun. for this whole article that we've been looking at. Mm-hmm. There was also a photo of the stage with just two engines installed, and it was taken from outside the hangar, um, with sort of the butt end of the stage sitting viewable from the outside of the hangar. And so I believe that they at least at some point took it out of it out of this particular fixture that the first stage is in or or maybe moved that fixture so I think it's pretty clear that they're, they're moving it around to some extent, and so maybe that's when they had the opportunity to to rotate the whole thing.
0: One thing that they also have to do, and this is something that they did not have to concern themselves with with shuttle, is you have these two rocket boosters on either side of that core stage, and that puts those boosters in pretty close proximity with the engines, and so they also have to, at least for two of the engines, which are engines one and four, they, they actually have to apply some kind of an ablative substance. I don't know exactly what that is, uh, but that's there to protect it from those two explosive bolts on the bottom end of that mm-hmm. stage. So, once those two side boosters separate, that could potentially cause some damage, and that's something that you like you didn't have to worry about with Shuttle because, you know, those two boosters were on, were on either side of the external tank. In fact, they were actually below the engine, so there was no chance of anything happening. But that is one issue that, you know, I hadn't considered is that they're very close to those giant RS-25 engines and, <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know, I'm, I'm just wondering uh like is there the potential for anything to go wrong there because- always yeah, yeah, there always is because I mean you have giant you have these giant solid rocket motors. They just provide a huge amount of thrust but they're also very violent. They shake a lot and plus they just throw out a lot of crap, mm-hmm. especially before they completely burn out, but I assume that they will be staged before that happens.
1: Yeah, well, I mean remember that while while they're actually lit up, they're throwing stuff downwards very fast. So I don't think yeah. they're really going to spew any burning propellant towards the center stage. Um, and then once they get to the end of their burn, the thing's already moving pretty quickly. So hopefully the, right. the atmospheric flow, but I think you're right. I'm pretty sure they're going to detach before they finish burning out. They want that residual thrust to help bring them away from the the core. Mm-hmm.
2: You could touch the yeah the side boosters and a uh, SSME at the
0: same time. Right. <laughs> I'm looking at several photos, and I'm thinking to myself, they can't be that close because it's not just the separation bolts that you would have to worry about. But, yeah, the exhaust from the boosters is really close to those engines, mm-hmm. like really mm-hmm. close. And I hadn't even picked up on that until now because I'm actually looking at it a little bit more closely, but uh, – It looks like it's just a matter of a few feet. So it must be some pretty good thermal protection or like whatever that ablative coating is. My guess is that it's also there to protect the engine and nozzles to some degree from the exhaust of the solid rocket boosters. Although, you know, like obviously these things are, you know, regeneratively cooled, but I don't know how that applies to the outside of the engine bell. I have not ever considered that, you know, having that problem. But yeah, when you have another engine or a much larger rocket motor firing right next to it, Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like a good idea.
2: Yeah, because even if you're not getting... The exhaust, you know, you're not coming in contact with the exhaust. It's going to be hot.
0: Yeah, but even then, um, you get these weird flows. and In fact, on the space shuttle, during the first, I guess like the first minute or minute and a half, there would actually be some amount of, I guess, hydrogen that was like igniting inside or right between the engine bells. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you recall seeing that yep. before, but um, that's the thing yeah, that you would got, happen. Yeah, you got a little bit of, yeah. Just because of so much drag being created that... I it guess it's kind suction. of sucked back up, yeah.
1: Yeah, but but note that note that it's not it's not unburned hydrogen that then ignites. It's just um, little it's just whiffs. Of, yeah, it's just whiffs of propellant that has burned in the combustion chamber and is sucked up a little bit. And it's just part of the losses of, of having a real-world rocket, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but I don't suppose that this will be an issue with the solid rocket motors. Like, that's not going to get sucked back up into the core stage in any way. Well, I don't know, probably not. I don't know.
1: Well, yeah. Anyway, so uh, I guess bottom line is we got four RS-25s on Artemis 1. That's uh, Hell yeah. That's a big <laughs> step, you know?
0: So I'll ask again because I feel like I've asked like once a year, each year, how are you feeling about this? Do you think it's going to fly? I mean, at this point, I would say you're – because I think at one point you said no and maybe are – are, like are you feeling more confident with SLS?
2: It's going to fly. I just don't know if it's going to be taking – I'm almost certain that it's not going to take people to the moon in 2024 yeah that's that's i i would i would bet money against that <laughs> proposition but i think it'll get people you know to the moon eventually
1: well well i mean so now everything's moved up so that um it's sls or it's uh, artemis 2 that's going to go to the moon with people and like now that europa clipper is like solidly booked on the third launch like i really want you Euro- i don't i want people to go to the moon like that's something that I want, but like I am way more emotionally invested in Europa Clipper. <laughs> so so uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think I think Dennis, you, you're absolutely right. I don't think that we're going to have people landing on the moon by 2024. Um, I don't think that we're going to see people doing a loop around the moon, a free return in 2022, which is when uh, Artemis 2 is supposed to fly. And I, I would be surprised if Artemis 1 actually flew in 2020. But I, I guess, David, if you're asking like for a change in opinion, yeah, I, th- I think it's more likely that we're going to get there now. I don't know how much more likely it is, but I I I don't feel like I f- still feel like we're never gonna see SLS fly.
0: That's probably a pretty good evaluation, considering that we have a core and it has engines on it now. So yeah, yeah I mean, it it certainly looks like it's gonna fly. It's just it costs so much time and money to yeah. get to even this point.
1: And I I definitely don't think that we're gonna fly two within twelve months of each other. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not super hot on SLS still, and who knows with with. Uh, a potential um, new uh, administration in the White House, we also might see some changes. Who knows?
0: Extra short and sweet once again this week, uh, but following on with our talk of SLS, what's the first one we have?
1: (laughs) Yeah, so the Orion capsule ships to Ohio for testing. The Orion spacecraft was recently loaded into the Super Guppy aircraft and shipped to NASA's Glen Plum Brook Station in Ohio for hot testing in the world's largest vacuum chamber. The first phase of testing lasting 63 days will consist of thermal checks on Orion's electronics, subjecting the spacecraft to the large temperature variations expected while in orbit, and the second two-week phase will be an electromagnetic compatibility test.
2: And next up and finally, an Australian company 3D prints a large rocket. The Melbourne based company Titomic has 3D printed the largest rocket to date. The 5.5 meter titanium rocket was built in less than 28 hours and the company claims the capability to build a full scale rocket in 165 hours. With this method, they are able to reduce material wastage by up to 80% while leaving a smaller carbon footprint and can accomplish in 165 hours what might take years otherwise.
1: Okay, stand by, we're looking at it.
0: Questions, comments, corrections, and rendezvous. So we have a meetup coming up. Ooh, right <laughs> I <like Yeah>. it.
2: <laughs>
1: Okay, so I am traveling to Phoenix for work uh, next weekend. And since Dennis is within driving distance of Phoenix, we are going to meet not quite halfway. He's being very nice and coming most of the way to me. <laughs> um, so we're going to have a meetup in Tempe, just like we did last year. Um, last year, we were at a, a brewery, and this year, we're going to go to a wine, a more wine focused space. They will have beer and other uh, adult beverages. Um, so we're going to La Boca Pizzeria. So that's going to be at 699 South Mill Ave, uh, Tempe. And the meetup is going to be Sunday, December 8th. Uh, at 5 p.m. Um, I have booked a reservation for, I think, like seven people because last time I think we had six total. So I figured that was a good number. Since I booked a reservation, they're probably not going to let us sit down until we have, you know, a decent number of people. Um, so if you're going to come, please plan to be there promptly at five. Um, Dennis and I will be there early, just hanging out and chatting. If you happen to show up super early, that's fine. You can come join us, but, um, five o'clock is, uh, is what you should aim for, please, and that'll be pretty, pretty good. Uh, like I said, I'm going to have pins with me this time, so this is Yay. this is a good chance to to get some enamel pins.
2: And this is this is right on Mill Ave, which is kind of like the main hangout for uh, mm. it's next to ASU, so okay. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fun area. So cool, should be a good time. Yeah. And
1: and the the food looks really good. They've got a portion of their menu that's just bruschetta, which.
0: Um, <laughs> is up my alley sounds like fun wish i could be there you'll be there in spirit with us David. yeah <laughs> okay moving on to this week in spaceflight history then so we have four winners we have ben haller jason freeze thomas formanick and christian lowe so the clue was
2: you were discussing critical space stuff with your pals the other day
0: and the event was december 4th 1945 the birth of roberta bondar Uh, who is a very interesting astronaut. I did not know really anything about her. How about you guys, first of all? Because, I mean, there are more astronauts than I realized. I don't know how many American ones, but there's been some 500 and something people in space altogether, which is more names than I can remember. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, uh, she was Canada's first female in space as well as the first neurologist in space. So she was born in Sault Ste. Marie and yes I pronounced that correctly because I looked it up which is in Ontario and she was born to a Ukrainian father and an English mother. From a very young age she loves uh, science athletics space which is I think a common quality that you mm-hmm. see in most astronaut candidates it seems that you sort of have to be into all three of those things. <laughs> her father built a lab for her in their basement where she would conduct science experiments so very inquisitive child. So I'm just going to go through really quickly a bunch of degrees and uh, titles that she carries. So she has a Bachelor of Science in uh, Zoology and Agriculture, a Master of Science in Experimental Pathology a Doctor of Philosophy in Neuroscience and uh, a Doctor of Medicine, and she holds over 28 honorary degrees, which, uh, you know, I don't know what those are specifically, but a bunch of honorary degrees. Uh, She's also a certified skydiver, an underwater diver, and she's also a pilot. So, again, very common among astronauts. Um, And Mm -hmm. she's an avid photographer, so she takes lots of pictures, and I think she's actually published, like, several books. She's taken pictures on board her one and only shuttle mission, which we'll talk about in a second. In 1981, she became a fellow at the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons of Canada, and uh, in 1983, she was one of the first six original Canadian astronauts. So uh, before 1983, or actually before 1985 or 6, I'm not sure exactly what the first year was, there had been no Canadians in space, shame, Uh, but she was among the first six selected. And since then, I don't remember how many Canadians have been in space, but I feel like that's a kind of a cool thing to know, because I don't think of Canada as having a lot of astronauts, but they have a pretty well-developed astronaut corps, um, Mm -hmm. certainly at this point. I'm seeing nine. Okay, really just nine? See, I would have thought that it would have been more than nine. Nine in space, four that are a member of the Canadian Space Agency, but have not yet been to space.
1: Except for David St. Jacques, who has flown, and he's one one of the four active astronauts right now.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. in fact, he has a pretty interesting mission coming up pretty soon, actually, um, involving something that is not unlike what the mission that we're about to talk about was. So um, Roberta, she actually joined the Astronaut Corps in 1984, but she didn't fly until 1992. That was on STS-42, which was her only mission. So she was a payload specialist for the first International Microgravity Laboratory mission, and this was like an in-depth type of a study about microgravity's effects on organisms and, you know, things of that sort, like materials processing. I don't think that there was any kind, you know, kind of like 3D printing involved back then. I, at least I don't think so, but they also um, observed like crystal growth, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, interestingly, there is a Canadian astronaut who is doing a similar thing in, I believe, an upcoming mission in the next couple of months. So maybe that's just something that the Canadian Space Agency specializes in, which is uh, studying the effects of microgravity on human physiology. Not sure. Huh. Um, but one interesting story that she actually recounted, not, and it's not in any Like official document, but you can watch a YouTube video, which was an interview that she had done some years ago. And uh, she tells this interesting story where, keep in mind, this was a shuttle mission. There was no space station. So, you know, they go up there and they are on the shuttle for the entire duration. So what you would do if you want to change clothes is you you would go into the galley, and there would be like a little privacy curtain, then you could just change your clothes or whatever. Mm -hmm. But she's a big fan of 2001 and who isn't. So she actually decided to recreate the star child scene. From that, so she actually took off all of her clothes, just got completely naked, and then like curled up in the fetal position, and then just like rotated in front of the planet Earth, which was in the porthole behind her. And I don't know if she captured any like pictures of that. Probably something that you couldn't put on the internet. But uh, I just thought that was a really cool idea, you know, like be a star child and that is you know, awesome, floating space, like why not? But it was a small porthole because, as I recall, you don't get to see much because, in fact, we saw one at the Air and Space Museum, right? Because mm-hmm. yeah, that, uh-huh. that in fact was a galley, so it's not a very big view that you have. But if you have a view of the Earth in the background, like why not uh, get naked, I suppose, right? Um, <laughs> so uh, her post-astronaut career, uh, she led an international team of researchers at NASA to examine medical data from astronauts to better understand the body's ability to recover from exposure to space. She also started a not-for-profit charity back in 2009, which is focused on raising environmental awareness. And she also has a star on Canada's Walk of Fame, um, and she has a commemorative coin. And I'm leaving out a bunch of other stuff, too, but she's had, like, many accolades. Uh, she is sort of like, I guess, a celebrity astronaut. Maybe she's been a little bit eclipsed by Chris Hadfield in recent years, but I think before him, it was pretty much her. I think she sort of, you know, held top rank there. But, uh, oh, and yeah, and so if you didn't get what the clue was in reference to, I I guess we should probably get to that, right? So... <laughs> I have been to think for this. Um, I have recently been introduced to a show, a very Canadian show called Letter Kenny very, very Canadian, and by that I mean I understand about half of what they're saying. Um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't realize how much of a different language Canadian was until, you know, they start uh, mm. talking or chirping, as they say, back at each other, which that's a new term that I picked up. But yeah, mm-hmm. it's a very funny show. There's this very interesting scene. I don't know what the inspiration was for this, but it's basically the three main characters like sitting on a porch, and they're talking about this completely fictitious story involving Roberta Bondar, and it is definitely a work of fiction because it's the most outlandish stuff you've ever heard. but Yeah, pro- it, it
1: doesn't even pretend to be real, but <laughs> it's so funny.
0: <laughs> the protagonist, he just delivers it with such confidence, like this is what happened and, you know, I'm going to tell you. And uh, <laughs> like it all starts off with the question of how do you mix a batch in space? Now, I'm not going to say what exactly that means, but yeah. you know, it involves, you know, doing stuff in space that uh, might involve it's, it's like the fluids.
1: third yeah it's like the third space question that everybody got, oh do astronauts do this do I and it's like okay
0: yeah yeah mm-hmm. right um, so how do you go number one in space how do you go number two in space and then how yeah. do you do that other thing so yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. what makes it a batches But but uh, that's you know kind of what precipitates the conversation and then from there it just goes off the rails but it's actually really entertaining um, and this whole story involves Roberta Bondar and this and, and
1: how much of a badass she is yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> Even in this fictitious situation.
0: And that apparently she can be found in a bar near Cape Canaveral sipping old fashions. <laughs> I don't think that that's true, but how cool would that be? Yeah, so it was a great clue. Uh,
1: Capes Canaveral?
0: Uh, Capes Canaverals, yeah.
1: So thank you for finding that clue, recognizing it as a potential clue, putting it in the show notes, and then doing... Uh, an entire This Week in Spaceflight history for me. Yeah. And then un- unfortunately, I-, I wish that this would have landed on next week and not this week because I'm not going to be here next week because um, of my business trip. Um, so, uh, I think Dennis, if you have time, I think this one needs to be you okay. for, for next week. So anyway, the, the clue is, uh, next week in 1984, what's the point of a weather balloon with a sample rate of 75 seconds?
0: What is the point of a weather balloon with a sample rate of 75 <laughs> seconds?
1: Yeah, it's pretty pretty bad data return, isn't it?
2: <laughs>
0: well, I don't know what that is in reference to at all, but if someone out there knows, if they think they know, just give us a tweet with the hashtag this Week SF and good luck.
1: Good luck, everybody.
0: All right, upcoming spaceflight events then. We got just two of those. So first up, on December 4th, we've got a Falcon 9 Block
2: 5 that'll be uh, taking a uh, cargo Dragon spacecraft to the ISS. And so this will be CRS-19, like I said, December 4th at 1751 UTC, uh, instantaneous uh, launch window, of course, and will be launching out of Space Launch Complex 40 at the Cape.
0: And then on December 6th is a Soyuz 2.1A, and that's launching Progress MS-13 or 74P, which I know we've talked about before, actually, now that I just said those mm-hmm. words out loud.
1: Uh, technical problem.
0: Yeah, so we had uh, mentioned this one last week, but it was actually scrubbed due to a faulty cable, which has been replaced. So now it's been uh, reset for uh, December 6th. That launch window is 0934 UTC from Baikonur Cosmodrome. So hopefully this time it will lift off and they'll have their rendezvous with the station just a couple of days after I guess the first one right the Falcon 9 so the-
1: Yeah 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 so this is this is going to be fun it's going to be a busy time at station um, so the dragon is going to get there first that'll happen on Saturday the 7th uh, coverage begins at at 4:30 a.m. eastern time on Saturday um, and then capture is scheduled at 5:58 a.m. eastern time uh, installation coverage will begin at 8 a.m. Eastern time. All that is on uh, NASA TV, of course. And then shortly after that on Monday at 4.45 a.m. Eastern time, the coverage for the rendezvous and docking of, uh, of Progress 74 will happen. Uh, docking is scheduled at 5.38 a.m. Eastern time. And so, yeah, 24-hour turnaround between, uh, between two, well, oh, I guess Saturday to Monday. That's, that's uh, 48 hours to get one docked and the other one in. So that's going to be pretty cool.
0: Okie doke, those are your upcoming spaceflight events. So it's time then to deal with the show, and we would like to thank Ronald Jenkins and Tim Dodd for our music.
2: We record live on Sundays at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much to our $5 and up Patreon supporters for joining our recording sessions and helping us make correction plans on the fly.
1: If you want to support the show as well, please leave us a review wherever you listen. Or visit the slash support for our Patreon campaign, affiliate links, and other resources.
0: For more information on this episode, such as show notes and other links, visit our website at theorbitalmechanics.com. Com, and be sure to check out our store for mission patches, t-shirts, and hoodies.
2: You can talk about the show with other listeners on Twitter and Reddit. or Orbital Podcast on both. And you can talk directly to us by emailing info at
0: theorbitalpodcast.com. So that's it. We'll see you next week on Orbit. Until then, later. Goodbye, everybody. See you
2: can't be especially sure those were even real space cadets the bar by Kennedy that day on account of being so close to Disney could have just been playing pretend or cosplaying like so many in that area like to do but if they weren't over there spinning yarn fucking Bondar for prime minister right